Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, coming to you from Burlington, Vermont, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And this is the second part of the conversation with Nick Lopez, who lives in Illinois. And when we left off in the last episode, we were mentioning his new article in The American Thinker on high-speed rail. Nick, can you, uh, again, give a brief synopsis um, and then give us a little more detail? What are you writing about? Sure. The state of California uh, decided to uh, put in a high-speed rail line between L.A. and San Francisco. And it seems to make sense. These are two large American cities that uh, at least one of them, um, San Francisco, has a fairly dense mm-hmm. urban core. Um, and there is a significant amount of air traffic between the two cities. Um, so I understand what they were thinking when they did this. And also, I, I love trains. I, I'm an absolute rail nut. If we had light or if we had a high speed rail in this country, I would ride it every day just for fun. So I'm not against high-speed rail. I'm not against trains, um, any of anything like that. Uh, but the way they're doing it in California is they started this project with government money, selling bonds and whatnot. And uh, they started the project in the Central Valley, the San Joaquin Valley. Yep. Um, basically, the route that they're taking is going to link the cities of Merced, California, population mm-hmm. 86,000, with Bakersfield, California, 407,000. Um, neither one of these cities has a, enough population density for this to ever make sense. So why would um, they why would they do that? Uh, well, it's the easiest part to construct. Um, it, it's flat. It's this big, long valley that goes right up the central portion of the state. So they come out of the Bay Area through mountains into this valley. Mm -hmm. And then once they hit the south side of the valley, south of Bakersfield, they go through more mountains to get to Los Angeles. Um, But this was the easiest place to get the the acquire the land, um, the right of way, get the track construction. Everything was just going to be easier by starting it in the central valley. problem is they've already spent this was god this was 2008 i think that president obama said that we were going to become the world's high speed rail leaders <laughs> um and, and uh it's been 14 years since that and now we have over 49.9 miles of dedicated 150 per mile per, mile per hour high speed track in this country Woo-hoo. you know, 49.9 miles. Um, you know, it only took 10 years and $26 billion to put a man on the moon. Um, in 2007, China had 263 miles of dedicated 150-mile-per-hour track. Now they've got 26,000 miles. Well, you know, and d- don't, d- doesn't, I mean, in Japan has had more for quite a while, has it not? For quite a while, yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, in China, they've got the population they've got 1.1 billion more potential rail passengers than we've got here right um they they, the cities are built with dense urban cores with people stacked on top of people going up to the sky skyscraper after skyscraper um we don't generally have that in this country um and on these lines and all the rest of them one is able to to service the principal but not the interest and everything else is losing money Okay, this is so, this is all very, you know, it's it, this is interesting to me. Um, I may have some misconceptions 
Uh, I am also a rail fan, but I can tell that you know much, much more about this than I do. So, well, uh, all you got to do is have a calculator, Josh. I mean, you know, 22, what was the figure? $22.8 billion spent so far on the easiest section to build. So, you know, let's figure how long will it take to break even? Well, California High Speed Rail Authority has estimated that a ticket between Bakersfield and Merced will go for about $78. So if we assume a few things, that California will have four trains on this route, mm -hmm. the trains will be provided free of charge, each train carries 360 people, runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week, never stopping for maintenance, mm -hmm. and there are no other operating costs. So 100% mm -hmm. of the ticket sales go to service the debt, which mm -hmm. has 0% interest, and electricity is free. In order to have that happen, it's going to take 26 years. So obviously it's, it's never going to happen. Tell me again, tell me again what the total cost was for this 49 miles or this, this stretch between Merced and uh, Bakersfield? This stretch between Merced and, and Bakersfield, $22.8 billion. Okay, stop right there. Here, all right. I do not believe, I do not believe it needed to cost that much. That is extraordinary and absurd. Um, I, I, and I don't believe that I need to know all the ins and outs of rail economics to, nope. <laughs> to, to suppose that a, a, a that is an extraordinary bill. Uh, I mean, th th that is extraordinary. And it has to be government graft. It has to be purposefully constructed regulations about the environment or the birds along the way. It has to be some shit like that that drove that cost up because you cannot... I don't believe it. I'm simply not going to believe, oh, yes, it does cost $22 billion to build high-speed rail for, you know, 20 to 40 miles. No, I don't believe that. What the hell are they spending money on? I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. $22.5 billion. Oh, that's a lot of zeros. Million, yeah. two, three more billion. Divided by 150 miles. It's $150 million a mile. That's insane. That This is the country that, what year was it that they drove the spike into the transcontinental railroad that joined uh, the east and the west? It was sometime in the, sometime in the uh, 1860s, wasn't it? Um, I don't think that that took as long to build as this is taking to yeah, build. Pr precisely. <laughs> and, and I am, and even though, even, even, Listeners, I'm accounting for this. I'm accounting for the fact that they had almost they had zero environmental regulations, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I get it, but in adjusted dollars, I have there's no freaking way that that project in the 19th century cost even a fraction of what this did in adjusted dollars. It's just not possible. No, oh, and it's right now Amtrak is well, basically. In order to pay this off in, in what we say, 26 years, they need to haul 292 million people between Merced and Bakersfield. You know, that, that is, it's just a ridiculous amount. Right now, Amtrak is taking something like 700,000 people a year between Oakland and, and Bakersfield and the intermediate stops between. So in order to break even, they're going to have to get something like a million and a half more people to ride. Well, yeah. Just between Bakersfield and Merced. And, you know, I have asked before, I've asked people before who are um, uh, railway naysayers, I guess is the best way to say it, um, who, who, who insist that Americans will never ride the train. This is impractical. It's European style. People hate it. Blah, 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 blah. 
I'm not sure. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but that's uh, not the reason. Well, see, that's okay, let, let me let me, go, let me go. Let me go. Let me go a little more. It. Let me go a little more, and then come back at okay. me, please. Um, for example, there's a train that runs between. Well, now it runs. It it does go all the way to Montreal. It didn't used to a few years ago. There's a train that runs between. Uh, well, it's the Northeast Corridor. It's the Amtrak Northeast Corridor. So it it ends down uh, around Baltimore and Washington D.C. in the south, and it ends now today um, in Burlington or Montreal, uh, Quebec. My house. Um, that I'm going to be moving into when I, I sell my other house that's that's close to, uh, to Burlington. My house is on a country road in a little spot called Montpelier Junction, and it's called Junction because it's a railroad junction. And I have walked from that house to up the dirt road with my suitcase to the Amtrak station, which charmingly is, yes, in fact, a 19th century Victorian. Uh, it's small, but it's got a little cupola and a weather vane and a mansard roof and all these sorts of things. It's charming and delightful. I love taking the train to New York City because I don't like I, I no longer enjoy driving. I used to as a young man. I don't like it anymore. I love taking the train because it is literally a living room on wheels. Um, I can get up and walk the entire length of the train if I want some exercise. I can get some crappy food in the cafe car. I can I can get up any freaking time I want to and go into the bathroom and vape my nicotine brains out and nobody even knows I'm quote-unquote smoking. I just find this an entirely civilized way of traveling because I loathe air travel. But and I agree. <laughs> so why is but here's the drawback. Here's the drawback. And I'm thinking about this because I've got a business trip to go on to uh, to meet somebody in New York City for a couple of days. So I have to figure out, am I going to fly there? Am I going to drive my car there? Am I going to take the train? I want to take the train. The thing is, if I could tolerate the drive, which I can't, but if I could, um, I could get there in six hours easily. On the train, it's 10 to 11 hours. And I believe part of the problem is is a problem that plagues the entire United States. And uh, Nick, I'd like you to correct me if I have this understanding wrong. I What I think I understand is that in the United States, Amtrak does not own these rail lines. They're owned by the freight companies. And therefore, passenger travel always takes second choice. Um, and it always has, am I am I correct about it used this? To be. You are correct in that, and it is the opposite of the way it used to be, because the freight companies owned the passenger trains back then and gave passenger trains the priority. Now Amtrak is basically just, and Amtrak is a government contract. Yes, it's it is. a low bid contract. So they're <laughs> they're sort of doing us a favor by letting Amtrak use these tracks. And, you know, it gets in their way, so they're going to side it anytime they can. And, yes, yep. that does contribute. Um, you know, and it's that way because the economics of rail do not exist in this country. And they Could they? since Could the they? airplane came along. Could they? No, because we have made design choices that negate that. We have gone the suburban route. Had okay. we gone the urban core route, which we had, we had nice urban centers with streetcars yep. and, and these things, but then Americans wanted to suburbanize, which is low density, spread out, mm -hmm. you know, with, with, without, you know, and, and there are now suburban cities. Like Phoenix is an entirely suburban city. Yes, it is. Yep. Uh, quote unquote downtown Phoenix is just a few high buildings. There's nothing. <laughs> it, it's not a downtown. In the sense that we understand it, they tried to revitalize it that by never building works. a mall and putting it, and it didn't work. 
you know, now the malls have all gone out and the sports arenas are pissing people off. And so people don't want to go downtown. Parking is expensive. You know, there's all sorts of reasons to avoid it in America. Yeah. Um, and we built that. We chose that. And, and our grandparents chose it. But we are stuck on that course. We cannot we do not have the 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 necessary upfront things to go back and redo it all. Right. It'll never work. You know, and it's it's I remember studying suburbanization in college. Of course, I went to Sarah Lawrence College, which was among the liberalist of the private liberal arts snotty schools in the country when I went there. And it still is today. Um, So it was it was four years of I didn't I didn't I didn't. I, I was a very different political person back then. But with the exception of some of the core courses in uh, survey courses in history of philosophy, psychology, and the direct instruction that I got in fine art photography and motion picture filmmaking, with the exception of those things, everything else I was taught was neo-Marxist, uh, postmodern, deconstructive, uh, the United States is an evil empire, um, the the brown people of the world are the are the authentic ones, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all this Marxist crap. And I remember my course on American suburbanization, and we read books like uh, the Levittowners. And for those who don't know, in the audience, Levittown uh, was originally constructed, I believe, on Long Island. Uh, the guy who owned the company was named Levitt, and it was a town. It was a planned town. Uh, there, there's more Levittowns. Uh, there, uh, I believe there one came up in Pennsylvania, but they were constructed. They were suburban cities cr- constructed out of nowhere. They, there were like three or four. Uh, at first, I think there was one model of house, and then they introduced two or three or four. Uh, but basically, everything looked the same. Everything was planned out. They made these meandering. Um, uh, roadways rather than a grid system to, you, you know, all this sort of stuff. So when I'm studying this in college, it, it this was my view, and it was very clearly the view that you were supposed to take as a student, that suburbanization was evil, that it was inefficient, that it was selfish, it was greedy capitalist stuff, it destroyed the soul and vibrancy of cities, and although this was not spoken as explicitly then as it is today, it very much, the the message was very much, this was because white people are racist and wanted to get away from the N-words. Now, fast forward 25 years, I'm almost 50 years old, um, I, I'm, I'm not a liberal anymore, I'm a capitalist, <laughs> and I want to get the hell out of what we call a city. What we call a city here is 40,000 people, but it's so woke, I can't stand it anymore. I get now why people wanted to move to the suburbs. This is this is a normal, it's not everybody, but it's a normative human response to certain conditions. It's not a... And, a it does not it's not about getting away from black people it's about getting away from crime getting away from noise all this other stuff how does it look to you well okay i i'm of two ways because yes suburbanization is evil it's soul crushing these are buildings that have absolutely no character whatsoever a big box store who the hell i mean all you have to do is slap a new sign on it and it can be a different store true um it, it, it has no personality. It has no character. You were talking about the train station and the ornate structure that that accompanied yes. that, and how that was charming, and how that added to it. Well, that's what America's downtowns had. 
You're right. You, know? you are and right. We, we, yeah. we had the, these windows that were inviting that with product in it that said, hey, come in and shop. You know, you need a new dress. This is nice. Sure. Malls don't have that. Um, malls got rid of the display windows in favor of opening the entrance wider. Yep. Um, you, you stay in one Hilton Garden Inn, you've stayed in all of them. There's no personality yeah, there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not no defending difference. the aesthetics of the suburbs. I, I too, uh, I'm saying I, I understand, I understand the desire to get out of dense urban cores. But yes, that what you sacrifice is character and charm. One of the things I love about Vermont visually, and um, I'm going to be moving this little place, Montpelier Junction, is literally less than a mile from downtown Montpelier. But blessedly for me, um, I, I, I'm literally on a dirt road and I can't see neighbors. So it feels like I'm way far out in the country. But the suburbanization, of course, you can see it all over. I mean, suburban housing stock um, starts with all of these 1950s-style, single-story, ugly ranch houses. That's what everybody had, and we're still building shit like that. We don't well, have to do su- this. Suburbs aren't, yesterday's suburbs aren't that bad compared to today's. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You, know, you are right. Some of the 70s uh, suburbs around Las Vegas had personality. You know, right. but now but everything's we, just granite countertops and, and you know, the same, samey, same. Everything's the same. We don't um, we don't have to do this. It is not a necessary feature of suburbanization. It's a choice. We, it's a collective choice. Somehow. It's for, an economic. Well, it, it, it's a choice, but there's also other things coming into effect. Um, back at the turn of the not this last century, but the one before that um, in a town. Uh, the owner of the hardware store would have his hardware store in the town, and he also owned a house. Either yep. he lived in an apartment above the har- yes. hardware store, or he had a house nearby. And he had reason to take care of both. The owners of of Home Depot, honestly, me, you know, I, I own stock in Home Depot. And as long as it's making money, I don't care what the neighborhood looks like around it. Yep. Um, I don't live in every place where there's a Home Depot. I have nothing to do with how the stores look or how they interact with the community or anything else. All I care about as a stockholder is that bottom line. And so we have given up a lot. We've given up small business. We've given up our downtown cores. We've given up personality. We've given up any idea of ever being carbon neutral because we built this for cars. Yes. We didn't build and now, this for trains now or, we're, or streetcars. Now we're going after, but now we're going at, as a society. We're going after the car too. We're, no, uh, we're going after the method of power of the car, not the car. Okay. An electric car is still a car. You know, a coal-powered car is 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 dirtier than a gas-powered car, and that's what an electric car is. Right. It, it's just it, it's still a. No, you're, what, you're what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about. Cars. Right. What I'm talking about is is the hard left, which is increasingly in control of the mainstream left in our public conversation. The World Economic Forum types, the Davos types, the people who want the 15 minute walkable cities. There is on on that portion of the left, which is in the driver's seat. This is controlling. It's not the fringe, even though it's not the majority. It is in control. They hate the automobile. They hate it because it is I, I'm, I know this sounds trite and cliche. I wouldn't have said it a few years ago, but I do honestly believe it's true. They hate it because it is individual freedom. They don't want people to be able to easily make that choice. They want us. 
they're trying to get people to not just eat the bugs, but love the city, love the high rise like the Chinese do. Love, love the fact that you don't actually own a car. You might rent it for an hour. They're really going after the individuality that shaped in some measure, uh, shaped the way America looks today. Name one American city that's walkable. Sorry? Name one American city that's walkable. Well, I suppose it depends on what your definition of walkable is. You know, certainly get to, the, get to everything you need within 15 minutes on foot. Well, I know, I know, plant. I know many Name people. Any place. I know that, that many people to. in New York City who have that experience. I do, I don't want to live in New York City either. I used to. I don't want to now. But I do. You know, I just talked to a friend last week. You know, and she's like, I got my laundromat. I, there's an art studio where I can go and practice my instrument. There's a grocery store. There's this. There's that. I don't have to go anywhere. Uh, that's not in my neighborhood. Yeah. And in those places, that's going away. Look at San Francisco. They're closing down all yeah. the stores. You know, pretty soon there won't be a grocery store or a laundromat because crime is out of control. Yeah. And we won't do anything about it because that's, we won't that's, do anything. It's about mean it. and you know, discrimination. You know, either. OK, either the the Soros wants climate change or he wants liberal DAs, but he can't have both. Because if you're going to destroy the inner city, the core of a city with crime, if nobody wants to stand on a platform, on a subway platform, because they might get thrown on the tracks, why why would they go and use a high speed rail? <laughs> I true. mean, if, if you can't provide that basic level of protection, fine, you're good on the train. What happens when you arrive? You know, it's like the high speed rail in California. Who the hell is going to how many fentanyl addicts will need to go between downtown San Francisco and downtown Los Angeles? Because there's not going to be any reason for anybody else to go there. So they're building a train to nowhere, even if it gets built to where they think it's going. Because they're gutting out, they're hollowing out these cities. Yeah, well, yeah. And we'll take New York as an example. You know, I, I've never lived in New York City, but I did go to school in Westchester County, right on the edge of New York City. So I spent a great deal of time in Manhattan. I was in there several times a week, uh, going to classes that my professors held at art museums or at their apartments, going to events. I, I interned for, uh, you know, an, an art studio that, that curated shows at, at the Museum of Modern Art. I, I, New York City was my playground for four years. Look at the subway system. It's much worse now. But even 25 years ago, it was it, it, no, it has always been fucking disgusting. It is, disgusting. It, it is a sewer. It is a down, literal but... sewer. It has always been a sewer. It smells. It is ugly. It is filthy. It is overrun with rats. It's piss smell everywhere. Exactly. It is. So why has it Americans... always been this way? You look at metros in other cities and they are not garbage dumps. But New York City, for most of its modern life, way decades into the past, is not new. They have chosen to have that. Why have they chosen okay. to have that? And you just called New York City a walkable city. Um, <laughs> I no, beg to I, differ because, you know, no, who no, what I what I said was, What I said was that there are people there who experience it that way, and that's there, true. There, there, there are that, that, there is, but a grocery store in proximity and a laundromat in proximity don't necessarily make it walkable. It's also okay. got to have poop-free sidewalks yes. and crime-free sidewalks to get there. You're right. To make it truly livable. I mean, you know, the, the, technically they may be walkable places, but they're hollowing them out. San Francisco, Chicago, and New York, is, and maybe Boston to a certain extent, 
but there are no other walkable American cities. Indianapolis, great, you live downtown, where are you gonna shop? You gotta go out to the suburbs. I mean, if, seriously, if you live in a condo in downtown Indianapolis, you have to get in a car and go to a suburb to buy groceries yep. or take a bus for an hour. There's no other way to do it. The same with Detroit, same with Chicago. Minneapolis is a little more upscale downtown, but give them time. You yep. know, they'll work on yep. that. All right, you um, know, you know what? Well, let's we're going to take a break here because we've been going for about a half an hour because uh, it's so much fun to talk. Uh, but we're going to give the audience a break. this is going to be an extra long audio episode. But we are going to take a break here, um, and folks, meet us back on the other side. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. We are talking with Nick Lopez. Nick, let's talk about what you suggested while I had the tape on pause. The psychology. <laughs> the psychology. <laughs> the psychology of living, of in, the living suburbs. in the suburbs. Yes. Well, you know, um, a lot of what we're doing right now is we're building on choices that were made in the past, and not necessarily by humans. Um, when people first came to North America, they followed game trails because bushwhacking gets you involved with poison ivy and stinging nettles and all sorts of Excuse, unpleasant Excuse me, is that so some we, kind of gay practice I haven't heard of, bushwhacking? Bushwhacking, uh, basically cutting a new trail through the oh, oh, right, oh, that's not what or I was you thinking. Can, or you can use an established game trail. So, okay. you know, basically when people started showing up here, and I'm talking about the quote-unquote natives, they used established game trails. Uh, later on, the pioneers came along, and white man, and, and you know, did whatever we did, uh, genocide, etc. But, you know, the push we made out west, uh, our wagon trains followed game trails, because these were, were already established paths, mm -hmm. and, and the paths that the natives used. We, we used that, the Mormon Trail. Um, and then, so uh, along we come with cars and uh, paving equipment. Uh, so the Mormon Trail is basically becomes US 40, um, you know, running yes. between Missouri and, and California. Yes. Uh, then, and, and that also is the path of the Transcontinental Railroad that you were yep. referring to er earlier, um, the, the first Transcontinental Railroad. Um, then along comes Interstate 80, which is just a couple miles off from these, mm -hmm. these two other three, four other paths. So basically what started out as a game trail is now a major railroad and interstate, with, complete with hotels, casinos, the Mormon church, you name it. Um, it's kind of wonderful to think about. I, it, I, there's just, I, it's just cool. We, we build on the paths of, yep. of, of the past. And so we have freeways where game trails used to exist. And now they've come along and they've decided that they're going to start from scratch. Well, you really can't do that. 
Um, you might have been able to do it in 1950 before we shot our oil wad, but uh, we're, we're sort of in the twilight of our oil production years, and oil is really the only thing you can base economic growth on. Uh, everything else is not quite energy dense enough. Yes, that's true. To, to cause the, the economic growth that we need as an industrial society. Um, you know, so here we are having made these choices. We made the choices to rip out the streetcar lines. You know, every yep. little town in this country used to have a trolley. They not only ripped them out, they burned the cars at big parties enthusiastically. Those you know, people what the hell did not is wrong with the people? trolleys. I don't know, but, you know, GM, Firestone, whatever, came in and, and made a big push to get rid of them and replace them with buses. Yes, so that's right. So our cities started and our towns started taking on a different characteristic. The streetcar lines in Los Angeles became freeways. Well, once you build the freeways and all suburbia and all that, you can't go back and say, hey, we want streetcars again. A and orange groves and all that. You can, but I mean, you know, you've already spent this. Yeah, and you know, it's, it, yes. it, it makes no sense. Um, and also, but, but, let's talk about these. Well, there's an aesthetic dimension to this as well. The, well I, I think that, that young people grew up in the suburbs and see them as hopeless, and they are. You know, well, that's that's, a, that's what boxes. I that's what I want to talk about. The so take take Burlington, Vermont, for example, and I include my town of Winooski, which if Burlington were a bigger city, Winooski would simply be considered a neighborhood of Burlington. Um, well, the, Burlington the, is kind of a bad example because well, no, no, you haven't heard it yet. You haven't heard it. You haven't heard it yet. You haven't heard it yet. Okay, so what I'm going to say is, the streets around here are. They meander. They are irrational. This is not a grid system that we're on. Um, they split off in unexpected ways. Um, when you cross a traffic light, the road across the light is not aligned with the road that you came from. And what, what you notice, of course, is that these our streets uh, were horse and carriage. Um, they were made for horses and carriages. You can clearly see it when you're going down our street. And I'm sure that the, that the horse and carriage trails built on the game trails or whatever came before that. What you end up with aesthetically, just aesthetically, is charm, mystery, um, whimsy, serendipity a little bit. It can be annoying. It, it definitely can be annoying when you just want to get to one place in your car and you want efficiency. But overall, you get this aesthetic of of whimsy and and organic development that created suburbs tried to mimic but they failed spectacularly you just walking down it well first of all if you can find a sidewalk in a suburb because as you know nick many of them were deliberately built without sidewalks to discourage people from doing anything but driving um and they they curve around and they they there's cul-de-sacs and they're sort of mimics of the organic, but they feel absolutely artificial. Well, it's like the uh, town center malls that are designed <laughs> to look like a main street, yeah. complete with living arrangements above them. But they aren't. They're they're missing uh, the the fact that they're not in a downtown is the biggest biggest clue. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, driving down Las Vegas Boulevard and all of a sudden there's town center. Oh, isn't this charming? Not. It's not charming. It's designed to look charming, but it's 
it's smack in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Yeah, and it's all you false front. It's literally, it's, it's it's almost literally a movie set. It's false fronts. Well, yeah, it is a movie set. Um, it, it, it is, uh, it's designed to look like something appealing, but yet still be corporately restricted. It mm-hmm. has none of the organic things of separate buildings and separate bu- businesses building their own business because CRE or whoever came in and, you know, built the whole thing at once and it looks like it. Um, and the other thing is, okay, say you want to go to one of these town centers on a bus. If you're going to the one in Las Vegas, the bus is going to drop you off on Las Vegas Boulevard. Then you've got to go 110 yards through the heat to get to the first business. Oh, it's it's hard. a parking lot. Yeah, well, first of all, nobody should, you know, it's talking about the heat. I mean, you don't have to convince me. I hate, I fucking hate Las Vegas. I, I did, I'm not exaggerating, I did get heat stroke walking six blocks the one time I went to yeah. Las Vegas. Uh, nobody should be living there. Blocks. Nobody should be living there. Well, no, nobody, there's no reason for it to be there. There's no river running through it. There's no, uh, basically, it, it was a railroad town to put water in engines. Yes. And then they built the Hoover Dam, and they legalized gambling and and prostitution. And those events, politically, created the city of two million people that you see there that has no human business being there. It would not be there, except for the mafia and legalized gambling. Yeah. You know, there's, and it, it's not going to be there 50 years from now. Um. It, it wasn't designed to be a sustainable city. There is only one reason for it to exist. Um, and, and it's like Detroit. Um, those casinos are basically Las Vegas's version of an auto factory. Okay, that those makes sense. Those are factories. They're not banks. They're not insurance companies. Those skyscrapers are all hotels. And when the guests leave, like they did during COVID, they're all empty. So let's you know, let's 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 go. Let's talk more. I want to hear more about what you have to say about the psychology of of living in suburbs, or even the psychology of growing up in suburbs. It's depressing. Um, I, I did not grow up in a suburb. I grew up on a ranch, um, and I thought the city was the greatest thing, and I was missing out and missing out. So the first chance I got, I moved to Phoenix, and I discovered because I didn't have a car for years, and I could never work hard enough to afford one. Um, Taking buses was not an acceptable alternative. Luckily, I found a guy who's 75 cents a mile cab company, a guy <laughs> with a beeper and, a, and an old Volvo. Yep. And he hauled me around the metro area because nothing was close. Um, it, it was just like somebody took mashed potatoes and boom, and it just spread out in the desert. Um, again, <laughs> a city that really has no reason for being. It's, it's not a transportation hub. Um, maybe some copper mining in the area, but but not really. It shouldn't be there. Um, it's a suburb of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and that's what Las Vegas is too. It's a suburb of L.A. They, those two cities are put there basically to support the Los Angeles area, and they are supported by the Los Angeles area. You know, this is um, this is funny. I, I, tell tell me if if you if you get this or if you don't experience it this way. So think about the movie E.T. I know that you're you're about six, seven years older than me. So um, I saw the movie as a child um, in the theater when I was the right age to love that movie. You would have been a teenager. Uh, so, I, I was too old for it and never saw it. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, then I'll use, so, that, I'll use something else. It, but that's it. <laughs> I'll use something else. 
Um, well, and well, anybody who knows anybody who knows that movie, you know, knows that it depicts um, a family living in a typical Southern California suburb, the kind of place, okay. the kind of place that that I spent between. Well, I didn't because we lived in, in actually concrete apartments. We couldn't afford to live in the nice suburbs. But I spent between ages 5 and 10 in Orange County, California. And that's what that's what my friends' neighborhoods looked like. Um, you know, all of these one-story houses that had a little bit of hacienda to them, a little bit of tile roof, a little bit of Spanish, Mexican influence. But but really, what, what adults in those days would have looked out across at and say, soulless, cookie-cutter suburb. And they were right. But when I look back, when I when I see a scene from that movie or if I look at similar television shows that depict places like that, I suppose it's it's just normal nostalgia. But that actually looks warmer to me than what I see today. <laughs> well, yeah, I right now I'm sitting on my front porch in the central Illinois town, um, tiny town. Um, and it it's like Norman Rockwell painted it. Mm. Everybody has a front porch. Now, what what do suburbs have? Where what's no? They there's don't. There's no front porch. There's a garage door. Yeah. My garage is in the back, and so is all my neighbors. Because you're not supposed and to we, see it. It's a utility building. Exactly. We interact with the street. I, I say hi to my neighbors as they go by. Uh, the flower shop across the street. I interact with those women as they come and go from work. Mm-hmm. Um, directly on one corner of the street there used to be a school and apparently they tore that down and put up apartments now it's section 8 housing in the 1970s mm-hmm. these buildings are turned so uh, so that there's a parking it's the whole block there's a parking lot in the middle and everything faces the parking lot it's so gross. so these buildings are like standing with their back to the street Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everything else is facing the street, and these buildings are sitting there like they've got their arms crossed and they're they're putting on a tantrum facing their back. The people who yes. live there don't interact with the other people in the neighborhood. They have to come out of that parking lot to do so. You you have just put your finger on it. I that description was fantastic. What you just said, those buildings sitting there like they had their arms crossed and didn't want you to come in. That is exactly right, and I'm noticing this here in Burlington. That is beginning to happen here. Um, that phenomenon, I, I, a couple of years ago, um, I was doing DoorDash. I was just doing food delivery for extra money. So I spent a lot of time, um, I know the city of Burlington now in a way that I didn't before because I've driven the whole thing. Um, the newer pla- the newer buildings, the newer apartment complexes that are going out, first of all, they're, they're, they're nothing like, and that, let me, let me not get off on that tangent. I'm seeing what you're seeing, these, these enclosed managed corralled areas that are architecturally designed to allow only automobiles and only in one very specific spot and to get out of it you have to follow a winding path they've they choked off the exit and entry points because they want to corral you and manage you but like you said the buildings have their back to the street it is it is an architectural expression of dishospitality. Well, yeah, um, the su- suburbs in Vegas. I drew, drove an Uber on a, the Strip for a long time, and the ones I hated the most were the ones that started on the Strip and ended up in some suburb. And I have an amazing sense of direction. I don't get lost. But boy, you put me in a neighborhood with curved roads, and every building is just a garage door facing the street. Yep. And they all look the same, and they're only you know th- there's only the garage door, sidewalk little patch of gravel and then the street and it's hostile 
it, it's yes, yes, not inviting. It's not warm. It, it's not you. You could live there for thirty years and never know a single neighbor. You know, and you know, because you'll never right. see them. They get in their car, they open the garage door, they back out, they leave, and that's all you ever see of them. You know, uh, it's not just the architecture, and it's not just the street planning, though. Um, Those are the major things. But, for example, where I live right now in Winooski, uh, this is a 19th century mill town. The house that I live in is literally mill worker housing, literally built by the family who came down from Quebec um, and built it with their own hands as as well as the house next door to mine. And then went down the hill and worked on the woolen mills on the Winooski River. So it looks like your typical northeastern New England town. Uh, All the houses on my block are 19th century, including mine. Um, And when I moved in in 2009, this is the first house I bought. Um, It's a tiny little Cape Cod, uh, 960 square feet, two bedrooms, but they've each got, uh, you know, ceilings under the eaves. It's more of a cottage uh, than anything else. It suited me very well. Uh, But they're all normal houses. They all have front porches. They're all sitting on the sidewalk. Um... And when I moved in in 2009, it was a vibrant street with a social scene. We had a lot of um, house parties. People would uh, family friendly potlucks, dinner parties. Uh, people would come and go. We shared uh, lawn appliances, lawn tools, uh, snow not snow plows, snow blowers. And and I'm leaving now. Um, and the street is not like that anymore. Nothing has changed physically, but. Nobody talks to each other anymore. I don't know who my neighbors are. I used to know all my neighbors. Um, I don't well, know who they are. The influence, uh, the, the basically, our culture has become a suburban culture. No matter where you live, yeah. Um, people, the the kids were alienated by this hostile-looking world, so they they retreated to their phones. And now, whatever was happening on the phone has started spitting out into reality, and we have, you know non-binary people trying to cover up their tits and whatever but the architecture (laughs) is not nurturing therefore the people have become unnurturing and now we're questioning what men and women are because we can't figure out what motherhood and fatherhood is hold that thought we're going to take a break and we're going to come back in just a minute okay And we're back. I want to pick up on what you said, Nick, just before we went away. You said um, that uh, that these are these buildings are hostile. They're unwelcoming. That we even, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing you, but that we have internalized in the way we don't socialize with each other anymore. Um, sort of the the logic of these buildings. And yeah, well, it started with the buildings. Um, and it, it is we have moved our children into hostile architectural places, places that are dangerous for children and systematically at the same time, tried to wrap everything in bubble wrap and sanitize it. Um, but, you know, basically a suburb uh, is a, a residential place where the streets are designed so you can drive 50 miles per hour on them. Mm hmm. Um, And that's not a good place for a kid to be. That's a dangerous place for a kid to be. The garage door in front is a dangerous place for a kid to play. Having that in back, you know, bouncing a basketball and and shooting hoops and whatever, Mm -hmm. you don't see that anymore. 
um, kids are, are you've destroyed their play places with the suburbanization. There are no playgrounds, and those that are, are so boring and sanitized, nobody wants oh, they're to use awful. them. So they re- they're they retreated awful. into a digital world. Yes. There's and a- they've been doing this for about, what, however long we've had the digital world, because they went into it first. Yeah. And now they're coming out of college, screaming for safe spaces. Well, oh, of course God, they yes. are. They never had any. You know, th- their parents don't want to be parents. No, um, no, they don't. You know, you know, I was I was talking they, about this. I was talking about this on Substack the other day, and it, it's one small piece of it. But I but I think it is it, it's an indicator piece or a bellwether. The remember, I, I don't know how it was for you, Nick, but when I was a kid, when I was a boy under 10 years old, say it was in that transitional time. God, I hate it. That transition, this was the time when, and this probably began in the 60s, you know, I was born in 74, when adults started um, telling children this, (laughs) don't call me Mr. Smith, that's my dad, I'm just Steve, right? Oh, how happy, happy, how equal and loving we all are. You know, this breaking down of, of the boundary and the normal and good hierarchy where the adults and the parents are in, in a position of authority and guidance and stewardship over the children. We're not co-partners. We are not co-partners with our children. We are above them in stewardship. That is the way it has to be. Um, this, But we have taken away the man's ability to be a man, the woman's ability to be a woman. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we didn't have a problem with this before Levitt Town. Well, it, uh, you know, here, let's let's bring in let's bring in brutalism too. Okay, um, brutalism in architecture. I call brutalism the architectural expression of the cluster B mind, the architectural expression of the narcissistic, the malignant narcissistic mind. Yes, it's a generalization. No, not everybody who likes brutalism is a psychopath. Supply your own, not alls, listeners. Um, but brutalist architecture, Soviet concrete block architecture, which which was astonishingly widely adopted in America, is hostile. And I don't care what I, I do not care how many people listening to this will tell me that they like it. I don't give a shit. You can like it if you want. The fact is, for most people and as it sits in society, it is cold, it is hostile, and it is demoralizing. It is not, it makes you psychically sick to be around it. The worst example of this is the Episcopal alleged cathedral that sits in downtown Burlington. I drive by it frequently. It's on the corner of, um, I think it's the corner of Cherry Street and, um, uh, forget it, nobody cares about that. Um, This thing is a brutalist monstrosity. It is literally no hyperbole, no exaggeration, entirely made out of enormous concrete blocks. There are very few windows, and those windows that do exist are tiny, teeny little vertical slits. Um, it, its footprint, its, its actual outline makes no sense. It, it follows neither organic forms, nor does it follow... Uh, classical ideals or anything else that informed other architecture. It is brutal and it's ugly. And 
this is supposed to be a cathedral. And I noticed this the other day. They have a sign out front, uh, not just the sign that announces the time of services, but um, signs that depict paintings or photographs or messages, this sort of thing. They've got a big sign out front. It's probably 10 feet tall depicting a figure who is, it's a black woman and child, but um, you'd have to see it to understand what I mean. It very clearly, she is garbed in a way that you are supposed to associate her with the Madonna. It is, the association is supposed to be Madonna and child. Uh, She's got, she's got the, the hooded outline, you know, that you expect yeah. in a picture of Mary. But, Last name blow but, is very familiar. <laughs> but she is a black woman and it is styled in such a way that you are, you are also visually being cued to see her as a oppressed black woman from the third world who is a migrant who wants to come into your country, but she's also the Madonna. Do you know what I mean? It's propaganda. Yeah. It is. Um, Burlington is nothing but propaganda. Uh, I left Burlington because underneath this quaint small town okay, so you know this, had this, everything yeah. I liked, it just was it, it was a hostile place. Um, the, my only friends were not from Burlington. They yep. were all from someplace else. I have no friends here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I have it, one. It, I have one. Christopher. You'll get invited to somebody's house who's from Texas, but somebody who's from Vermont's not going to invite you over. That's what Burlington is. Yes, sir. Um, it can be. It's like Salt Lake City in that respect. Salt Lake City. Is Salt Lake City that have way? This really tight knit culture, and the Mormons have this little really tight knit culture, but they don't really cross. Okay. And they're both tight knit because of each other. Okay. Um. Burlington has this sort of weird thing going on between the people who are New Englanders and the people who aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I just I, I found that it smelled. Um, people were walking around in circles with signs, thinking they were making a difference. Yes. I'm like, you're in Burlington, Vermont. Nobody's paying attention. Nobody even knows it's here. Nick, when did you I leave mean, Burlington? Oh God, it was 2011. Okay, Ed, let me tell you. Okay, so you know you know much of what I'm talking about. Have you been Have you been back here at all since 2011? Not Not for a second. Okay, it, it, it good. Never come back. Um, because I won't. It, it is far worse than when you left. Believe it or not, it is far worse. Um, not only, I mean, it still looks the same, with the exception of the fact that it is choked now, literally choked, with LGBTQ shit, um, those those smarmy bitch signs. Um, In it has me believe, you know, devouring mother is everywhere. Um, it's it's Marxist, it's communist, it's it's a fucking nightmare. But it is also it's degrading aesthetically. A couple of things are going on. One, our crime is out of control. We had, I think, five or six times the number of shootings last year uh, than than the historical average or than we'd had before. Um, a friend of mine recently reported that when he was out walking his dog on Riverside Avenue, um, he heard 16 shots, 16 pieces of gunfire. Sure enough, yep, the next day uh, there was a shootout on Riverside Avenue of all places, which is, is just amazing to me. But downtown, now, I'm sitting in the studio right now in downtown Burlington. And up the street, where I usually park my car, is uh, it, Elmwood Street, right? Um, and they, they've decided that to help 
the homeless population, they were going to put up living pods. So they did. So they put up like 15 of these little one person. It looks like old school motels. You know, that you had your own little cottage, except they're even smaller. And what has happened? Exactly what we expected would happen. That street now, that portion of Elmwood, is now a haven for scumbags, schizophrenics, whores, literal prostitutes, and druggies of all sorts. And what are they doing? They are doing exactly what I knew they would do. They have arrogated to themselves the front porches of actual people with actual houses who live there. They are now lounging and smoking and drinking and shooting up all over people's front porches. This whole city is going in that direction, Nick. And I honestly, I've got a theory on that, um, that Burlington and all of Vermont honestly suffer because they didn't rip everything up and go into the suburban thing. So a lot of Vermont's problems aren't coming from the people who originally occupied Vermont because they were, let's face it, red. Yep. Um, it was a very Republican state. It was very staunch New Englandy. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, you know. Yeah. Not normal people say. with sense. No, <laughs> way beyond normal people, like kind of uptight people. Yeah, you know, that's like true. Normal, but 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 a little bit even more so. You know, yeah. kind of that Puritan spin to it. That's true. So by not embracing the suburbanization that New York and New Hampshire and uh, Massachusetts embraced, Vermont basically made itself a destination for the people who were being alienated by the suburbs, for the people who saw the hostility, the Ben and Jerry types. Yeah, but they're the, one, they're, they're the ones who fucked everything up. What's that? They, they are the ones who have fucked this state up. Exactly. And they did fuck that state up. But they only had the opportunity to fuck that state up because every other state went suburban. Interesting. Vermont's the only holdout. Vermont did not go the suburban route. It's they going that way now. South Burlington and stuff. But they really held out. And even now, they don't have billboards. There's all sorts of things yep. that Vermont doesn't have that other states have. And because of that, it's it's basically like Laughlin, Nevada and Bullhead City, Arizona. It's because of a political distinction that there's skyscrapers on one side of the river and suburbs on the other. Mm. Okay, it's the gambling, but yet everybody, despite the fact that there's no income tax in Nevada, everybody lives in Bullhead City for some reason. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just that, you know, people are going to come in the future, you know, if the skyscrapers are still standing and say, why did they have these skyscrapers here in the middle of the desert and just on one side of the river? You know, and that's what happened to Vermont because Plattsburgh and and whatever became yeah. suburban sprawl and Montreal and whatever. Burlington and Vermont as a whole became a haven for the whole earth catalog, mm -hmm. Mother Jones reading. Women wearing reading, stupid scarves. Um, you know, liberal who wanted to do have an organic farm and raise their kids in, in cloth diapers mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And that started and it's just sort of been liberal follow up after that. And now you've got the blue haired screaming gender confused ish all over the place. Yep. How did that happen? Because America built suburbs. That's how that happened. How did that happen in Vermont? They didn't build suburbs. Well, everybody else did. So, of course, it became a magnet for people that hated suburbs. Who hates suburbs the most? Liberals. You know, it's all connected psychologically. Uh, it goes back to mindsets of our grandparents. 
and now we are so out of touch with the previous generations um and uh, today's kids are making are trying to distance themselves they're trying to make it more difficult no you grandma those you're not using my pronouns well yeah I was just they're narcissistic you, little asshole was you know so yeah um and it all follows through uh, of course you're going to become a narcissist when you're isolated in a box yes yeah, it, it isn't. It isn't their the box. Yeah, it isn't their fault. It's the fault of their parents, and their parents are my generation. Um, they're they're the baby boomers as well. Um, you know, I people have pointed this out to me, and they're right. I bitch about young people a lot, but it is true that you know they didn't make them. Well, the problem is they they kind of did make themselves because they weren't parented. That is not their fault, but they were not parented. And we have lost that nurturing and a lot of the nurturing because it t- raise a child takes a village, right? Well, we've cut the village off by turning our house around and putting the garage door in front. What yeah, and, we uh, and, and, and we're yeah, but but now the village that's being offered to us is literally the federal government. Well, no more worse than that. It's Silicon Valley. Mm. I mean, you know, it's Bill Gates and, and you know, the people who own the federal government. I mean, you know, even the federal government's not doing their own thing anymore. They, you know, I've been watching the federal government a long time, and they ain't never done this before. I mean, honestly, I know. It, I know. It, it, it's, it's well, wait, really... wait until you see that the, the uh, of course, people listening to this, this show will already be out by the time you hear me say this. But, Nick, wait until you see tonight's uh, TV show. Um, we've got um, we've got a clip from the White House about LGBTQ Pride Month that is absolutely chilling the it's joe biden and you i mean it's just right in his script i mean they the federal government really does believe they actually own america's children not the parents the white house oh yeah um you know but it's i don't i would put to you that it's not necessarily the federal government they're doing it on on klaus schwab's behalf Mm, yeah you know and the wec and you know all all these alphabet soup of think tanks you know, I, I, you know, again, um, people call me tinfoil hat guy, and I guess maybe I am, but, you know, I look at certain things and certain events, and I realize that all of my life, what I've been watching on TV has been produced, directed, scripted, edited, whatever. It's fake. It doesn't matter what it was. It was not a real event. And I... I'm starting to see more and more evidence as time goes on. You know, I don't think for a second we put a man on the moon in 1968, 69, whenever we said we did. Interesting. Um, for the price that we said we did. Well, why? How could we? We no, can't no, even no. build a high-speed rail. Between we can do this. We can. We can do this on another episode. I'm. I'm. I'm open to hearing it. I. I. I you know. The, you know. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, we've been manipulated. Yes. Um, our. 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 Our whole thing. Um, you know, look at Lee Harvey Oswald. This 24-year-old yeah, that didn't loser has quite the resume, you know. <laughs> it's just things don't add up. And no, they, they don't. Have. They never have. On, no, they, they never you know, have. And I think a lot of this is by design, and I think that design started by getting us out of the cities and into the suburbs. Now they're reversing course. Why is that? I don't know. Um, you know, they're, but psychologically, we've been made malleable. Oh, and and have been manipulated by our surroundings, by our exposure to media, by what we've been told. 
Um, and, and we have one of two reactions to it. We either look at it and say, that doesn't make any sense at all. Or we, you know, start licking the windows with the rest of the people. <laughs> you know, well, that that's going to be that sounds like to me a good place for you and I to stop um, manipulating people and trying to create a false yeah, reality exactly. through through our media <laughs> uh, presence to them, which is our message. Nick, thank you so much. We are going to do this again thank because you, you and I have a lot to talk about. Um, OK, I look and, forward to it. Definitely. Uh, so Nick Lopez. Oh, before you go, before you go, um, tell people uh, the title of and how to best find your article on high-speed rail in the American oh, Thinker. Oh, it's on American Thinker, and I'm a technological idiot. It was on yesterday's front page. Um, I think if you go to the search bar and search my name and then scroll down a little bit, you'll find the cache of, of things I've okay, written. Okay, so go to American Thinker and, and look for Nick Lopez. Nick, have a fabulous Illinois Sunday. Thank you. You have a great day as well, Josh. All right, listeners, thank you very much for joining us. This has been Disaffected, and it will be again. Take care.